Today's conversation is with Alex Bristol, former Green Beret of the Army who suffered from OCD and depression and talks about his experience with Ibogaine, the drug that helped him open up his heart, kind of let go of his overly active mind and his thoughts and opened up his feelings and how that affected his relationships and his ability to forgive and live with unconditional love. We also talked about rage splitting of wood. It was a great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome, everybody. My name is Chris Witko. And I am Chris Correa. <laughs> and I'm Alex Bristol. Alex Bristol. <laughs> Alex How Bristol. are you? It's our guest here. Uh, bastante bien, man. Here in Tucson, just loving life, dude. Now, you were on recently, you went on a little like, you went on like a little journey for a while. What was that all about? Man, wow. You know, um, we had met in, you know, fall of 17, just south of Tucson at a cool eco village event for a weekend. And, um, oh yeah, that's one of my, yeah. that's one of my favorite cults on the planet. Oh, I loved it too. <laughs> yeah. There's a cult that's oh. in Sedona that oh, they moved God. to, uh, south of Tucson yeah. and every year they have a couple of events and it's yeah. one of the, oh, they're good. They're a pretty nice cult. I don't know much about them. Yeah. But um, they do have some land and they do have like an eco village where they put together all kinds of permaculture and non-traditional mm-hmm. buildings Yeah, made out of all kinds of different, they have, they're, they, fantastic. They're yeah, fantastic like structures, man. And like in terms of like the amount of acreage for like um, crops and like livestock, like they're doing it well. And I remember my yoga teacher here in Tucson, I saw it, I was walking down fourth Ave, you know, like our mad hipster spot and like near downtown and outside the hipsy gypsy. And actually right. Um, I think it was on, I didn't realize that they had a property in Tucson where they have some of their music and arts, you know, pre COVID for sure. And then right. I saw this, this advertisement for it. And it was funny because I remember telling it to my teacher and she was like, Alex, that's a cult. Girl, I used to be a Green Beret. This fascinates me. Like, I'm not going to be afraid of that. If anything, it's going to be rad. And like you said, Chris, it was. So, yeah. And, and just to, just to stay on that topic before you move on. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, what did you think of the whole cult experience when you were there? You know, I didn't pick up on anything. I've come very much aware of. Um, through a little online information. And then someone actually I met at Yogaville this last year, I did a residency there and it was really cool, man. I spent a lot of time at that ashram because that was part of my path is to check out them around the States and develop my practice a lot. I really wanted to. And um, yeah, I met her and she was there and she said it didn't really turn out too well towards the end, but a lot of people like it, you know, like, um, and it, and it works for so many people. So I only have a little bit of limited knowledge, but you know what we experienced there. I love the event, and I was sad last year when they didn't have it. They they use that now to focus on some other projects at, at where they're at. So yeah, and just to fun. give and just to give the picture, it was a kind of just like a celebration. What was the yeah. celebration we were there for? And I know we we had yep. costumes, didn't, didn't we? Dress up. <laughs> we will get to a cr- <laughs> that other gentleman <laughs> fresh off burning man with costumes <laughs> um it's the eco harmony festival so they've been the, doing it for a while 
Right. They did. So we went there and, I, and we had a great time and, and, and you and I, and there was like six of yeah. us that oh. bonded. I don't know how we all met. Actually, During we were doing first flying, yoga, doing the flying yoga. That's yeah, right. We did acro. It was an acro class. And the way that the teacher paired us, man, it like, she paired all the men together first. And I remember getting to know you and I was like, wow, I'm going to do acro with these two other dudes. Like, what? It, it's like, you're going, out, you're going somewhere and you kind of like get hooked up. It's just, here you go here, make, you know, lay on your back, put your feet yeah. in the air. This guy's going to like yeah. put his stomach on your feet and fly like Superman. Yeah. And, you know, you just can't help but get to know someone or at least create some kind of affinity. Outstanding. <laughs> you know? No, it was rad. And I do remember her name, Cheyenne Bold out of San Diego has an amazing practice, man. And she still has great instruction going on there. And then I just remember how she led those classes. It was Saturday and Sunday. And like you said, man, like we all came together. And then I remember we hung out on this like amazing, like grassy knoll that was above a pond and like hundreds of people out there, like vegan, vegetarian food. And like they started doing public speaking events on persons like of esteem in the industry man so i really liked it and you know we all really vibe there and chris the other chris the third chris uh had costumes man and i have a picture of this too maybe we'll post it on the site and we're all just blissed out dude you know the six of us and like oh i love that place so anyway we 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 met there and that's so cool yeah we got to know each other and then you went on a uh like a journey right you kind of went Kind of left the world. Well, what were you doing at the time? Um, so then I had just started working for a defense contractor in Tucson. You know, um, from 10 to 15, I was in the Army. And I had a really awesome opportunity. I was working in finance at the time for a few years. And I was really wanting change. So um, I was a little displeased with the banking practices that I saw during the recession, which was rad, man. And mm. that's why, you know, in terms of financial crisis, it's, it's really interesting have, having um, been in a retail center, you know, from those years and dealing with clients and the challenges that they were facing with overdraft fees, which they were allowed, you know, six, um, six per day at 35. It was up to $210 a day. And it was near Section 8 housing of awesome Central American families and like telling people even a margin of that, you know, even $35 or say it was 120, that could be a week's worth of pay for them. And the bank takes it. So like I got really disgusted, joined the army on a cool program called 18 X-ray, 18 series in the army is the series designating army, uh, green beret, special forces. Now, how'd so you I get mean, into special forces? I know that you yeah, are yeah. into special forces on another dimension. <laughs> but... Oh, brother. Yeah. <laughs> you're like we'll get into we'll that get, yeah i'm writing that down i'm like i make sure we get to sf <laughs> <laughs> no but for real i mean yeah. becoming a green beret i mean that's that's navy seal for yeah. the army right <laughs> yeah that's correct and it's like very comparable the major difference is that you know they both have there are dive teams you know, in Green Berets, but mostly the method of infiltration is different. You know, the SEALs do an amazing job of doing water-based operations and infill, and that shit's hard, man. I was in a dive team when, just for a little bit. I didn't go to dive school, but I was doing some of the training and operations, and, like, it was challenging. So there's a lot of, like, respect to the whole community. But, I, you know, my father, here's a clarifying point. I grew up in the D.C. area. My father was an FBI agent. So I grew oh, up, I was, like, a little Jason Bourne, man, like, hitting up Quantico with <laughs> 
<laughs> like, yeah, seriously, man. I was like running the obstacle course at Quantico, like when, you know, not at the same time when agents were there, but Quantico is the training ground for the FBI nearby. There are some Marine Corps elements too. So it's, it's at, in, in essence, if you're joining the FBI, you're doing your continuing education and your training there, or you're qualifying under weapons training, which you have to do every year as an agent. You would go to Quantico initially and it's, I don't know the length, but it's probably over a year. And it's a really challenging school, man. It's like Green Berets of a different equivalent, you know? So, And you were like nine years old running the obstacle course? Uh, yeah, because, yeah, at the very least, that's probably when I started. And then, um, yeah, I've seen, I've seen uh, interesting photos of me as a child and not realizing <laughs> what was going on. And it's like, holy shit, you know? So I was sensitized to that environment and having a, FBI agent father who's like training you in the greater arts of like evasion of police driving. <laughs> like I already gone through what would be military equivalent of defensive driving courses as like a, a teenager, man. It was rad. Like That's how to cool. do burnouts and slides. So it, it was like, you know, when I got disgusted with some of those banking practices and just where I was at in my life, man, I was 24 years old. I mean, there are a lot of men at that age who really want excitement. So I joined the army and um, you can sign a contract and boom, there you go. You will be definitively given the chance to at least go to the initial training if you complete your basic down in Benning, your airborne training in Benning, and then you go to Fort Bragg. And then they'll like, at the time, it was like one and a half to two years course of like six phases successively that are really hard. And you got to pass one to get to the other. And it's pretty much you got to do it straight through. So the attrition was like, just insane like 90 plus percent i imagine they'd be like the same for the fields and <laughs> so they're like they're like okay alex you're a cool guy we yeah. want you in the army and no it wasn't that chris it was me really wanting to do it there's no one who comes to you and asks you to do it you have to be crazy right. to want. <laughs> okay but the green beret not everyone can just be like i want to join the green beret or can they is that no they can they, at the time especially when there's only one war going on at the time but especially when both wars were going on it was one of the most successful means of people getting an 18 x-ray contract the 18 x-ray designator is your trainee your primary MOS when you go in is an 11 Bravo, which is infantryman. That's what you went to basic training for. So in the 92% that the army's going to have you fail, bro, there's literally, I don't know what the statistics were, but they literally fielded like at least a brigade of soldiers in the 82nd Airborne at Fort Bragg because that's the main infantry unit, one of the biggest in the army. So it was like the greatest way to get soldiers come in because everyone's walking off the street thinking they're going to be a Green Beret. And it's like, bitch, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> like everyone quits, man, or they, they wash out. And it's like, that's yeah, you said I, two years, man. <laughs> yeah, man. It was two years of like brainwashing and torture. <laughs> uh, well, it's like, it's not even brainwashing at that point because it's like so damn exciting, you know, like you really want to be really? there. Yeah, it's not any like, because you really need this. A nation needs army special operations. It's like one of the most effective means of ground soldiers because um, they work by, with, and through the host nation. That's why our course is long, just like the steel started taking language training. So you do four to six months of language training and like you're just trying to assimilate wow. the culture. So then like when we went to Afghanistan, we're trying to train up like those local police and those local armies. So then you don't have to commit as many forces, um, you know, conventional wow. forces. So you had to learn um, whatever they speak in the Middle East. What languages did you learn? No. So for me, there's only, there's five, five main units, five active duty SF elements that are, are deployed based on a regional basis. I was at first group, we would go to Southeast Asia. However, I did do an Afghan deployment, but my language was Asian. I, I had a, 
uh, Indonesian. But there are persons who learn the languages in the Middle East, but there's only one of the five groups there. Just so it's, which is cool. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Hmm. But no, so I did that. You know, I, I, you know, I was always going to do something like that. I almost dropped out of of college because I wanted to be in the Marines because um, that's just where my heart was. You know, so I'm happy I eventually did it. And yeah, I was in the army for a while and stationed up in the Northwest. I went. A deployment before my Afghan deployment, I was in South Korea and then for just a like a training. And then I came back and we went to Afghanistan. And then in 15, I left. I came down to Tucson for three, you know, grad school. And then right when I finished that up, Chris, that's pretty much when we met down in Patagonia. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, at that place south of Tucson. At that place. Yeah. So <laughs> you, you were in the military. Yeah, the evasive that place. <laughs> <laughs> So you didn't do your military thing, and then you got out and yeah. you started working in cybersecurity, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So I'd been a radio operator, which was really rad. Like um, I, I specialized in, um, you know, all the radios you would need in order to sustain um, operations in the military and for small teams and larger elements. I did a lot of learning how to deal with like uh, network technologies because we would have... Um, like small satellites in order to pass messages, you know? So that's how you're setting up, your, you know, reports and doing military things. So I had to get certified on that stuff too. I had an opportunity. So I was really interested for a period of my life in cyber. I used the opportunity to get my certifications like net plus sec plus, and then eventually got my CEH certified ethical hacking. So then it was really easy, especially with my clearance to go work at a defense contra- contractor for a bit. But, um, you know, it was rad, but eventually I kind of left that line of work and just started pursuing other things, you know? Yeah. I remember when we first met, you were talking about that. We were just, you know, because you are what I, what I found the most interesting about you right away is when I first met you, you seemed, you were like this, you know, hippie gypsy is where you, you know, <laughs> were first talking. So you seem like a hippie gypsy kind of guy. You seem like this guy who is, you know, easy going, happy go lucky, laid back surfer dude. Yeah. And that's kind of what you, I form, I started formulating, you know, you start formulating the impression of who you're working with. And, and then suddenly I find out, I find out all this other stuff. And I thought to myself, I remember thinking, how could this heartfelt man have survived like military mm-hmm. and cybersecurity in this really rigid environment? And, and I'm just curious, what is like kind of that dichotomy for you. What did that look like when you were in the military, when you're in special forces, being this guy who's really into kind of more of that spiritual dynamic? Yeah, dude, that's that's... a great question. Yeah. And it's almost like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to answer that. And it's almost cool how everyone would answer that question for themselves respectively, you know, because it's like, I think every person out there has such a rad story, you know, like patting our all selves on the back. So um, you know, (laughs) I think I certainly know much more of myself. I think who I am now in my life at that point, when I projected myself into the military, I think I, all I was focused on bro was sincerely being the best, like (laughs) soldier, patriotic, like son for my family that I could. And like nothing else was in my mind, seeking partnership. I, you know, I, I'd never really been into that in my life, honestly, for establishing like a meaningful relationship outside the context of like sex, you know, 
And no, my, you know, it was, <laughs> that's just where I was at in my life. Is that the, all I was interested in? That was literally every. You wanted to make your, you wanted to make your family proud. Yeah, I, I really think so. Cause I think that, um, I think I have had such two sterling regal examples of parents, especially, especially then, cause they were in their prime, you know, of what they were doing, like their, their yoga at like forties and fifties with children. And like my mom is very successful. My father did well at the FBI. You know, there's certainly challenges involved, like anyone just within family, but, um, that's all that was in my mind. I didn't want to do anything else. And it was rad. So for a period of time I was, and I didn't start to have really challenges with the military until I got with withholding that ethos because that's all I was focused on. But until after my deployment, that's when stuff, you know, started to go loose. And I, I think I started to, um, I don't know. And I've seen it in other guys, you know, a lot of SEALs and, and SF guys and military in general is like, it's such an intense energy for such a long period of time. It's hard to hold it and sustain it. So like even riding that for like three to four years is a lot, you know, but then I just started to, you know, kind of burn out from that. <laughs> now, did so, you see anything? Yeah, I can did imagine. Did anything specific happen along the way while you were mm-hmm. in, were you stationed in Indonesia? No. So as, um, that's kind of just so, when they, Indonesia, we haven't done, I've never done anything with them. Um, and I believe that some of our military elements weren't just because of other stuff that, um, you know, decades past, you know, military operations, diplomatic reasons that we weren't doing joint training with them. And, you know, in the odd case of if, my language would be used in other ways, you know, but I never went to Indonesia itself. I graduated my course. I went to my unit. I did get to go to South Korea in the very, very, when Kim Jong-un, this, I, I don't know, is he still alive? Like I heard he was in a hospital, but I, I, I deployed there with my, and uh, right as he was coming into power. And I will say that that was a major point of history. And um, just based on the way that, you know, how the world was going over there. And then I, we came back and very quickly thereafter, we did a very strong ramp up to go to Afghanistan. And then we all went over there, you know, um, kind of like in the Hindu Kush region uh, outside Kabul right next to Pakistan for like nine months. And then uh, we did that and then came back and then I had only a little bit of time left. But for me, that's probably where I started to experience challenge. And, um, you know, everyone does in some way. And I I only had a five-year enlistment. So my time was coming up and I started to like get ready to leave the army. So you were mentally kind of checking out, but was there, what was happening at that time that made you maybe question or, like you, did you become disillusioned with your choices or anything like that? No, no. And it's really, it's really never been. And I still don't feel like disillusioned with my choices. Um, my, for me, it was, it was just, it's a sequ- It's just an opportunity of sequence and events. And I think what team you're on and the leadership that you have, like immediately around you, like I've, I've certainly had some really good ones with the one that I was at. But there was also challenges, you know, like those are those are just challenging organizations to be a part of. So they're very cannibalistic, you know, at the, at the end of it and the core of it, and which was really hard for me once I left the military, because there's really no downshift once you leave and you're at that operating at that energy, you know, um, like you're right. essentially trained to like not outright kill, but you're trained in the finer arts of like uh, doing that shit, which is rad. Like, I'm really happy that I know that. I'm really happy that I can go there if I need to. But um it's there. It's just the interpersonal stuff. I had a very close friend who committed suicide. That was the hardest thing, the hardest damn thing. And uh, and it was we we had some suicides, you know. And I have a lot of friends. It's the same thing. Like, thank God I didn't have to do deal with a lot of combat stress and loss. 
Uh, I think that would be really shitty. And, you know, the loss that I experience is like people who I know really close and then they're just gone. And then the way you yeah. deal with that is really hard. Was the suicide related to um, their, their combat or just the stress of being uh, in, were they all, were they also uh, Green Beret? Uh, yeah, yeah. We were um, very, he was um, on my team previously and, you know, so I knew of him a lot. We were friends. And it wasn't, it was before our Af- we went to Afghanistan, you know, some, some things had happened, which, um, you know, he was going to get reprimanded for, you know, in general terms. But, you know, when anyone commits suicide and a lot of people, you know, it was crazy, man. Like I did a, I did a one month long course this last year with Knowles um, to become certified as an outdoor educator and also do a wilderness risk responder at Woofer. And our teacher, I was surprised she went over on a module about um, suicide and like depression and, and homicide and it was rad. And like, I got up and I had to stand up and leave because I was pretty much in stitches which is great. You know, I always feel good when it, or we feel good, you know, when you can just cry and let it out. Cause, cause that shit sucks. But um, everyone in that class, and I'm sure like pretty much every single person listening, whether they know someone who has, or they wanted to harm themselves or take their own life. Like it's pretty much all of us now, man. So like, man, it's just crazy, you know? So yeah, it's really hard. Oh, <laughs> um, it's definitely a lesson to uh, process and walk through. I mean, yeah, you know, PTSD and all that's it's a thing. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I, I have my own opinions about how we handle things um, and how we have in the past. And, you know, I just, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we're moving into a different space as a species, a more conscious space where we, where we stop harming each other in those ways. Um, you know, and, and share PTSD in other ways, um, you know, and step into more love, really. And, and kind of, it, it almost dissipates that entire frequency when we, when we choose that. Um, I feel you, man. I feel you. Have you, uh, so uh, this is just a completely random question now. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced um, or had, had the idea of experiencing um, kind of like a, I don't know, like an LSD or, or a mushroom induced trip to support kind of mm. mental health. Oh, well, that's so funny you say it, man. Cause like, um, the medicine found me, um, what about in the middle of 2018? Oh, so you have, yeah, yeah. That's like when Chris mm. was mentioning, it's like my other SF like brethren, <laughs> like, um, the, the other special first. <laughs> well, I think they called him Jedi because our amazing shaman, this amazing woman from Southern California, he was just so rad. Like <laughs> she would call wow. him Jedi. And it was a group of um, former special operations. The group was privately funded to assist Navy SEALs with um, with trauma, which is challenge, man. So they had private funding, this doctor who was using Ibogaine in Mexico to treat primarily uh, opioids, uh, challenges with opioids, alcohol too as well, but especially I began the medicine, its ability to um, change the body, man, in order to reduce cravings, the opioid receptors. And it's challenging. It's not easy, but it certainly helps. And then it's really good for PTSD. So I had a buddy who had a really hard time. He was also on the teams and uh, he had medically separated. 
And he had a heart. I, we were both going through panic attacks at the time. I was just doing mine. I was doing mine at home, you know, <laughs> suffering in huge silence. And like, uh, yeah, he was having a challenge with his, his. And I believe, you know, they picked up on it a little bit. And, and, and thankfully, he was able to separate from the military. And, you know, just, hey, then, you know, you try to find your own help and healing. But he contacted me after he was having some challenging times. And I was always concerned about it. I think we're each concerned about each other for different reasons. And then he called me one day and he was blissed out. I think I was at work too, bro. And I answered a call and they had just gone through like the uh, 5 AMEO DMT section when like on Fridays, the protocol, you know, you, you go through and you have your, your intense Ibogaine experience and Saturday you digest it. And then Saturday you connect with a different, I think more of a feminine medicine compared to the masculine of Ibogaine. And with that DMT, man, whew, and, and, and with other people around you, it's really amazing what it does. And then, so that's what projected me that experience into um, completely changing my life, you know? And I feel like to me, I was telling someone the other day, I feel like it was a men in black. They got the neuralizer, man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> I had no clue. I genuinely, that's really amazing. Um, you know, I've been seeing a lot of research and and kind of, papers and, and news articles be released about the benefits and, and how this is becoming more accepted into into our, our kind of medicine, our practice yeah. of medicine. Yeah. And a lot of people aren't familiar. So why don't you go, if you don't mind describing what that experience was like and, yeah. you know, what is it made from and, okay. and how that works? Okay. So experience of Ibogaine. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Thank it's, you um, for guiding, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's such a good question because um, right now this is really popular. And to be honest, I think it's one of the, as it, when it's done with proper um, supervision, support, um, community, and then like especially follow on um, work, you know, therapy and connection. It's it's honestly, I think, the most effective thing out there being someone who's ha- uh, gone through the full echelons of, of things with the VA from taking psychiatric medication to doing therapy, to meeting with a psychiatrist, to trying to work out with my family, to trying and going into nature, like everything, you know, and then lo and behold, this comes along. And uh, so, yeah, I began from a, a West African um, tribe called the, I believe, the Buidi, and some really amazing footage and research out there about the Buidi tribe, Western Africa. It's a root. Um, it's a root. I was wondering what it was, like medicinally yeah. or... It's a root that you grind up and um, you can, um, like, I still, I have root bark, you know, a little bit and you can like, you know, suck on that and take it slowly. I think it is fascinating because in the hunting tribe and it's psychedelics as well, because I really like microdosing with mushrooms, especially when I'm in nature. Um, You, if you, in a microdose sense, the weedy tribe men use it to go hunt. So on a very, very low dosage they can use it in order to really uh, harness like their perception, their sight. Like I've experienced this as well as San Pedro, which is really supportive. And so, yeah, the Witty tribe use it in so many reasons. And then it's like a rite of passage ceremony for them. And then also I believe there are other um, um, events that they use it for, but um, I understand that they, it's a very good for that. And then, you know, people in all around the world sort of use Ibogaine, especially with, opioid uh, epidemic going on and the challenges with that so right um yeah that's how we kind of adopted it into our society i believe and you said there's oh, i've never there's, heard of it there's some risk what was what are the risks of doing it? what are the negative potential 
You know, um, just having been someone who's gone through and then afterwards did uh, supported a lot of ceremonies. Um, the biggest thing is if um, uh, if you're interested, if someone is interested in doing it, they have to be very well aware that there can be conflict, uh, conflicting medications if we're taking already. And um, so medication that one is already on uh, ha is very, very important with Ibogaine because uh, the medicine also can impact like heart rate so mm. that that gets can get extremely low at times because the medicine is fascinating, man. The way it works and you feel it within your body um, it, it, and it warms certain times where the medicine's focusing on doing a lot of healing. And I had a lot of um, I had experienced some severe concussions, not just from military, but from like road cycling when I used to train and race. And among other things, you know, airborne operations, jumping, hitting heads. Um, and then a few times, like, lost consciousness, man. I've just really run myself. And, like, I was having horrible migraines at the time post-MBA. Like, when I did my MBA by the second year, especially with all the stress and just not completely out of balance, man. Like, migraines are horrible. Um, so the, the medicine is very assistive for that. And a lot of the other persons that I've seen in ceremony also would say that as well. So, so when you, um, you took the Ibogaine and you did this ceremony, you do it in a ceremony state. You don't just pop it, you know, like regularly, it's a certain yeah. situation when you go and it's very intentional Yeah. and, 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 and how long does the, does, does the episode last? You know, some people metabolize Ibogaine for a very long time and you base dosage on someone's weight. Um, and you, it's very, very, um, I don't, I can't remember what they are, but it's very, very finite and you will metabolize traditionally. It's a medicine that you do in the evening, you know, so uh -huh. you, you certainly want it to be sunset and, um, safe space, essential yeah. oils, you know, <laughs> maybe burn some sage. Hashtag Michael Pollan, how to change your mind. You got to get on it. <laughs> read, read, read some Deepak Chopra for like 10 minutes, get in the zone, do some deep breathing. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> play yeah. some crystal singing bowls. That's right. If you have any, play oh, some. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing. It's like, and all those things I've, I've found that, 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 uh, for especially psilocybin, very, very helpful. And I'm sure other psychedelics, but I'll tell you what, on Ibogaine, it's a whole nother medicine, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Man, you got me interested. <laughs> oh, Lord, man. <laughs> so, walk us through the experience. What is it oh, like? To yeah, experience. like what were some takeaways? Like, yeah. you know, emotionally, what did you feel? Yeah. Uh, did you have some kind of mental experiences as well? Did you have some you know, nervous system experiences? Oh man. Did you see anything? Yeah. Auditory experiences? Oh no. Yeah. This, and it, this is, um, it's really good. It's, it's really good because this was my first psychedelic. And I think I, I wouldn't even consider it a psychedelic. It's like Jedi medicine. And like, I had been doing a lot of meditation at the time, and I'm someone who really likes to just jump off the cliff, you know? <laughs> like, I remember going in and the concept, and even then we're like, Alex, this is your first psychedelic experience. We're going to try it again. I'm like, well, if I don't even really know what it is. <laughs> right? Like, oh, man. Give it to me. Surprise. Experience. Oh, dude, it's so crazy that mm. it sets on. Like, it's really helpful. Um, I've found it so effective to be in an individual private safe space, which I even still do with psychedelics. And I like it a lot. You can really control your environment. 
And there's at least like, there's a doctor in the room who's kind of far off and they're monitoring vitals and you can take vitals in a way. Cause once you go into your experience with Ibogaine, there's a transitionary point where you, if you want to have the full experience, you can't fight that point when you lose conception of who you are. <laughs> like, and you, there's a very definitive period where it's gradually ramping up to that. And it's, you start to have clicking and, clicking sounds and you start to hear buzzing and it start to get warm. And then like, so you could start to go through a lot of different changes and then, and very gradually, you know, personally, I just felt like if you remember the star date, <laughs> star gate, like when they go through the star gate <laughs> and you're in that spiraling vortex of like purple and black or like my color specifically, it's like, oh my god, you don't even know how you get there, and you know. Like, so hold on, are we talking uh, Stargate SG one or? Um, <laughs> um, I was, I think the more, especially movie, you know. I got you. I got you. <laughs> Just yeah. that rolling kaleidoscope of like, oh man, it's it's, it's so hard to describe, man. Because I'll be honest, a lot of the mm. visuals and and those types of things, I find it very hard to recall right now. I even elicits an interesting feeling in like my mind where it experienced it and other things because it was like two and a quarter year ago. And like the medicine stays with you, man. Like it's you're permanently <laughs> metabolizing Ibogaine. Oh, rad. <laughs> and, so when you when you take that and because you're permanently metabolizing, <laughs> how does that affect the PTSD? So you, yeah. it goes away? Does it you just not feel it anymore? When it comes you, like when it starts <clears> to come up, do you have a different relationship with it yeah. now? Or you know, I think a lot of it, man, is like a lot of it is forgetting. It, it almost like it, it, you're trying to reestablish a new feeling within your body and mind of what the potential is. Because you're experiencing, like as Ram Das would say, you're experiencing a wholly different energetic plane, which is why I've always appreciated how he's talked about psychedelics in the beginning of his spiritual journey, you know, which turned him on to where he was and look at what Ram Das, who Ram Das was and what they became and how they have affected our lives. So like these things are other mediums and ways that aren't anything that we're doing on day-to-day -day things and like what we look on our phone or what we consume with our, you know, our eyes, with our ears or whatever it is. And here you are, you know, engaging with this plant medicine on a whole different energetic realm. And, and, and a lot of the people that I've seen in ceremony, they describe it as like when I used, to, you know, when I was going through stuff with, um, you know, my counselor or my therapist, it was like, maybe I, I got rid of like a single page of, of, you know, challenge and, and whatever it was, you know, sometimes you don't know it. You just feel it in your body and you feel really anxious and shitty. And you don't yeah. know why you feel that way. And yeah, if you uh, know why you feel a certain way, yeah. that's not the reason because it's always in my experience, the shit that really, it's like there's cockroaches. You don't really see them and they're there. They come out when you, in, they're always in your subconscious, but your conscious mind is not able to see it. And so if you have a memory of something, that's just a kind of a, a kind of like a kind of a triggering of the subconscious. So all of our all of our like drives and patterns are uh, dysfunctional, I should say, drives and patterns are these subconscious programs that we're completely unaware of. Mm. And, you know, the PTSD stuff is driven. I, I mean, I've had a little bit of it. I was I was in the military and I went to war as well, but I 
luckily I, I fixed airplanes. So I, I wasn't shot at per se, but I do have a little bit. And I know that these things are like, we can't control them. They're, they're, they're subconscious. Like we can't see them. And so part of the, part of the journey for me has been finding a way around our own kind of obstacles, the obstacles that we create to kind of save ourselves for safety. And when we're little, we learn how to survive basically our childhood. And you talked a lot about your father and his influence on your decisions. And I'm sure like, as you know, as, as humans in this world, we're vastly impacted by our, our, our family of origin, whatever that looks like. And, you know, for you having those PTSD, having those migraines, and then really kind of dissolving maybe some of those obstacles to the subconscious through these different, these different spiritual, I call them spiritual practices, even though that they try to sign, they try to make it sound sciencey. They'll, they'll put doctors in the room and you're monitoring yeah. your vitals, but really, wouldn't you say this is a, like a very deep, it sounds like what you're describing is a yeah. deep spiritual experience. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, especially when we're dealing with things such as our, our emotional states and how we feel in the life, and this affects everyone, you know, everyone feels some way day to day and we're all affected by anything, whether that's like our children, our partners, our life situation. And like, you know, so we're always experiencing a lot of things. And I think what I, when you can go into a very safe place, um, and have a psychedelic experience and then have follow on support and community. That's one of the biggest things is the community of going through something like this. It was much like my military experience. You, it, you can only really achieve such greatness physically, um, you know, other than like Olympians when you're, when you're in around other people and other people are suffering and training with you. So when I have like, you know, 10, 20, 30, or sometimes maybe only one or two amazing persons next to me, you know, going through military training or being deployed, and they're willing to excel and push themselves to those levels too. I mean, that's really effective in order to get me to contribute. And that's what I, that those, in that context is what I experienced when I found plant medicine ceremony in a strong community. This one specifically was for veterans. And there, I know there are a lot out there. And, you know, they're also using ayahuasca and that is so much more effective than a one stand. I find it very interesting that what I have experienced in my own life, what I know it to be true. And I've also seen with my own eyes and seen similarities based on, on the amount of time and experience that I've had with this, that the results are by far hands down more <laughs> better than anything that I've experienced. I'm not trying to hit on the VA, but that's my healthcare provider, you know, and they're certainly trying, but this is right. very, very, very effective things. And they are. And I'm just so happy that people are finding it, you know, do you find or do you suspect that the the kind of the spiritual aspect of it is kind of hidden or it, it, it keeps it from being more popular? You know, it's so um I think that our struggle as a nation is being open to the context that someone's individual worldly experience can be something other than what is traditional in this country. What that yes. looks like, you know, I, I, I find it very interesting how you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I personally know that there's certain in specifically the way we administer medicine, there are certain things that you can say, and there are certain things that you cannot say. Uh, 
And I'd be interested to know, like, how it was presented to you. Was it presented like it it may help and these other life-changing events regarding spirituality and otherwise may happen? Or was it just like, hey, this is is an opportunity for us to test this this root on the brain? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a really good question, man. It is. Um, and the context of where I had come into contact with Ibogaine when I was working with a practitioner and a, um, in common terms, therapist, but the woman who was overseeing like the spiritual components, which would be like, we say shaman. I, I imagine there's another, like a facilitator. In that, in that context, you would say a facilitator, right? Because there's a separate actual doctor who deals with dosaging. And being very transparent about what you're about to take. And, you know, even preceding this, there, you have to do a lot of intentional work, just like in yoga workshops or other stuff. If we have in our own practices that we set and create intentions or mantras or mantras, that is happening with the individual like myself that I'm setting ahead of time and I'm working with someone saying, hey, I want to come to this experience. And these are the things that I hope to have in my life. I mean, intentionality before and after are some of the major components, especially when working with plant medicines. And um, so that was big. And then to answer your question in terms of um, how it was described to me, you know, very, very transparent leading up to it that, hey, this is going to be a very riveting experience, you know, do some of your own research out there, see what other people are saying. But to be honest, I didn't search a lot of public information because the first YouTube video that I saw was someone who I think wasn't properly representing what I began was because they had a bad trip or a bad experience. And it's like, well, that's not my fault. Amazing. (laughs) And I didn't want to get my mind to think that that was going to possibly happen to me just because of an individual, you know? So like, Hmm. um, I mean, I was very uh, um, careful and I like, even in my daily life, you know, I really segregate myself from a lot of information out there because I think we have to be so careful with life into our minds because then it's like what we start to believe. So that was my practice with Ibogaine. They told me how, you know, the experiences that I would go through, you have to be very careful what you eat ahead of time, especially your diet protocol and preceding that, you know, no dairy, even preferably no meat, a very easy, easy digestive state for a few days ahead of time, like a week preferably or more, and then fasting the day of. Yeah, that's that's very similar to the protocol for something like ayahuasca. Yeah. Um, hmm. Very so intriguing. And you talked about losing who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, was that described to you that that would happen, or is that just something you experienced? You know, it wasn't, and it's something that I've come to find true with, you know, for a bit thereafter, I was very... Um, heavily involved with psilocybin mushrooms. You know, I was, I was very involved with them, um, within, within that medicine, which I, you know, I've absolutely, I'm, I'm larger experience in that too. Right. It's very, very similar. It wasn't necessarily, I can't remember if it was described to me cause it very well could have been. Um, but I knew I was so eager at the time just to do it. I was so intrigued and it was fascinating for me in my life. Cause I, did, I don't think I realized how much I, um, I had a challenge with OCD as a child when I was a teenager, when my parents like finally separated when I was like 11 or 12. And then like out of nowhere, I started to create, have OCD checking rituals. So for like locks and faucets and like all this wildness, man, it was really weird being like 12 years old and then have that shit come in your mind. And like, um, eventually I got rid of it. It wasn't too bad because I had like family and community around me when I was, um, working for that one year specifically after grad school. 
which I already felt like the, the threads were already coming out. You know, people who know me and my family would definitely, you know, that that was there. And, and then, so it really came out once I had done the medicine experience, which is the only like, really, I mean, everyone will always let you know that I began or something that intense isn't for everyone. You know, it's, it's only for some of the more very, very severe, you can go through it if, if, if you're a thrill seeker and, 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 you know, it's something that you're very well aware of, but in terms of people who are experiencing trauma, you have to be very careful about how you, if you use the Ibogaine in the community that you have, especially after, because you're so opened up. So I'd be lying if I didn't mm. say that I didn't have challenge and, you know, right. I had really hard challenges, especially thereafter. So. Well, you went, let me wow. just unpack this. So you, you, you were in banking, which is kind of a traditional industry. You were in the military, which again, it's the military. It's a, a long history, very traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, then you were in security working for a defense contractor. These are all, you know, if your, your father is an FBI agent, these are all things that you could say, I am following what I'm supposed to do in society as a man doing the things that I'm supposed to do. And then when did that kind of unravel? When did that turn into Chris, like, Wait a minute? The what am I doing? Question. We, we're just on the same page. I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> Cause I was like, I want to ask him about his perspective of before this moment that you're speaking of and after this moment you're speaking of and, and what he, what he believes and, and sees and feels that a masculine man is today. Oh man, dude. So many questions. Thank you, Chris. You know, this is, I'm really happy this comes up because it's like, I've always struggled with how I communicate the you know, there are, cha- you're going to have a hard time in any, if you become in any special operations, you know, the teams, you have to have really thick skin. Um, I think for me, the challenge that I started to experience was like the whole ride through the training was amazing. You know, that's two years practically of some of the most from beginning to end of the, the initial, you know, from basic training to, to getting your beret. And I think a lot of other people will tell you that too. It's like being on high school varsity, <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing. And, and I think for me, the challenge is, is it was just a really big step up when you, when you become operational on teams, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard job, you know, and a lot of people do it well for me personally, I was, I was a motherfucking banker, bro. I just really <laughs> wanted to try. You know? I just really wanted to try and join the fucking team, man. <laughs> and I made it. Shit. <laughs> I, I, Alex, I just have to ask this. Where are you from? <laughs> yeah, I grew up in like Northern Virginia. Um, you just, you, you sound like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I got that from time to time. Sometimes it just sound like yeah. fucking Matthew McConaughey, and it's great. Oh, Thank you. Keep, keep going. <laughs> I I get that from time to time. I get. I, I do want to pick up some more of his movies because I just love his movies and start getting a guy. Either that or Crush. <laughs> you just went back into it, man. It's great. <laughs> now I just need to get a Lincoln, man. <laughs> oh no this is interesting so you know what it was for me honestly is is just like um <laughs> you know the, the 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 instructors were gone the blinders were off and once you get your beret and you go to your unit man you um there are really it's a challenging fucking environment and a lot of people don't hang man officers get chewed up and spit out man real quick especially by a team sergeant that guy's been in the military for a long time. <laughs> you know, a officer comes through and doesn't and doesn't hack it, man. Or an enlisted guy comes through and it doesn't hack on the team. Literally your bags. And they tell you the whole time through the fucking course, man. 
hey, if you don't do good when you get to your team, they will pack up your bags and you're going to throw them out in the hallway. And that means you're kicked off and you go see Sergeant Major because <laughs> the fucking team doesn't want you anymore. And like I've seen it happen and it happens. So there's just a lot of pressure to make sure you don't fail your team because in those those environments, you know, if you're, it's just you, just your ODA. I mean, everyone's, you know, very common with like Marcus Luttrell and Lone Survivor. What They had four persons, you know, going off initially for like an Overwatch recon that turned into a shitty fucking combat, you know? So like every single fucking person matters, bro, on that team. And that's why the training's so hard. That's why you'll get pushed to the limits because you have to see how you're going to perform and um, got to see where you're going to crack. Yeah. And when, and when you do right. crack, right. When you, let me be very clear. <laughs> and when you do crack, how are you going to behave? Yeah, That's right. And how, how are the people that you're choosing to fight with and, and support? Yeah. How are they going to behave? Yeah. Man, it's like life. Yeah, I can imagine this has been really helpful, like this kind of yeah. training, even though you're you're doing it to basically kill and not be killed. That's the overarching goal in the military. When you get out, there's training to to handle all kinds of pressure. They get, there, yeah, and there is. And like in an declaring point, like especially as a Green Beret, which is really fascinating about it, um, you know, certainly in the double digit amounts of, of different mission um, capabilities that, that, you know, berets can go off and do. And I imagine SEALs are very similar as well. You know, direct action, you know, DA is like what would be conventional military or, you know, army rangers, fat, the best at DA, man, direct action, which is what you say when you say, you know, killing and conducting combat, that would be. But there are, are so many more echelons of like unconventional warfare, you know, what special operations specializes in. FID, foreign internal defense, you know, building up the capacity. That's what we're really, really doing in Afghanistan. So it's, it's, it's just, that's why I also sleep well at night, man. Like I know our country's going through some turmoil right now. But I do know <laughs> you could put a you put a hard hit to damn SEAL team or you know Army Green Beret ODA out in front of the Capitol and that shit wouldn't happen. I tell you that. <laughs> I, I bet there's a ton of them too. I bet there's, I bet there's a ton of teams. I bet there's a bunch of guys in that in that group in that that yeah. mob in that gang that were ex uh, Green Beret. I mean, and, possibly, you know. possibly, or at least at the very least, and I was thinking about it. The team there, you know, I, I have a friend who is a park police swap team and he was a terrifying, terrifying man when I knew him in college. <laughs> and then, you know, and, and he is a, he's a really good, effective um, discipline officer, which is what you need. You need good training, man. When there's problems, bro, it's fucking training, you know, because you have the same problem that happens with soldiers, unless you're properly trained, put in the worst possible situations. And and I just in my mind was running through last night, you know, being someone who used to do CQB you know, of course, um, quarter battle, you know, you're doing housework, you know, cause you have to train, learn how to do that, man. Learning how to fight going through houses is terrifying, you know, <laughs> and, you know, to be able to do that. You know, if you think about it, you know, if you just pause and think about, okay, I, I need to go through and clear this house. Imagine trying to clear the Capitol afterwards. I imagine it's a very tenuous time. And I will say, this is just my perspective, especially having been a vet and especially after the plant medicine, man, too many people out there right now think it's glorious to think about the possibility of civil war. It's fucking terrifying. War is not no bueno, man. Like you don't fucking want this stuff. So it's like when I hear people out there saying that, I'm like, you better watch what you ask for. And like, I don't think that's a direction where we're going in. I pray that it's not. I really, really don't. But you know, that it's heinous shit, and it's nothing to joke at. So I just really hope that people can kind of like loosen up on that notion because it's not a beautiful thing, you know. Yeah. So well said. Then- 
very beautifully back, said. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Going back to when, when did it, when did it flip for you? What, yeah. like, where were you? Was it, because I know when I met you, I think it had already started unraveling. You were kind of looking deeper at who you are and why you're here and doing something yeah. obviously non-traditional in terms yeah. of what you had been doing. We're yeah. so good with tangents. <laughs> the tangents are good. It's like the side Star Wars movies, you know, or like watching Mandalorian. It's like, oh, there's so much more into the whole line. <laughs> okay. So back straight up, man, it's going to sound crazy. Like it, it, I had a really hard, you always going to get harassment when you're on teams, but for whatever the damnedest reason, man, I got a shitload of harassment. I've always been heterosexual. You know, I've never really, I've never been into men, you know, I've always been into women, but because I was different on the tent, on the teams and I didn't have the conventional military image, which obviously I've always been a little bit of hippie guy, especially more now, but I started to receive a lot of slack on the teams. And like, I, um, you know, I had a team sergeant, he just made it my life really, really hard. And, and then for whatever reason, the, yeah, I get it. You're going to be made a hard and then eventually the shit lets up. But like, it was like gay jokes and like crazy shit, man. And like, you'd have to find a way to make it like, not just gay, but like obscene craziness, man, where it's like harassment. I'm not like, when you have to go along with harassment, you know, just in order, because if you get pissed, even there, there's st- you're still like outnumbered, you know, and not all the guys are against you. But like, it's a really hard culture to be a part of, you know, the suicide, especially with my buddy was really hard because my, my team sergeant thought that he was really selfish for doing it. And yeah, there's a lot of people who are affected by it. He had a family, he had a wife, he had kids. You know, I, I, I was part of the ceremony and then the whole military and everyone else is affected by it. But I think that he didn't do it in a good way. And uh, I had a hard time with that. And then, you know, it was just a really hard operational environment. Um, I, you know, all teams have challenges. There are going to be interpersonal challenges, but in many ways it just proved to be too much for me. And uh the thing that really broke me is when I, you know, when we returned from my, when I returned from my deployment and I was in the Northwest at the time, and then I, I just, it was so dark. I, you know, I moved out into my own apartment. I hadn't been, you know, pursuing, like I wasn't, I was really imbalanced. I was only doing military stuff. Like, and I didn't have any love in my life. And I just went into a really dark place where I lost like 15 pounds and like, unexplained weight loss, depression, suicidal thoughts, you know, idealizations, just wanting to die. And like, it was horrible, man. And like the stigma around trying to seek treatment was really challenging. You know, I couldn't take, I can't remember if I took psychiatric medication, but I certainly know once I was in Tucson, I did, you know, I was in school and that, and that was really hard. That's like even worse than having a bad trip, you know, cause what it does to you if you're in a bad state, you know, medication alone, when you're in a state like that, you need more than just meds, man. So. <laughs> right. Right. Community. You're back rubbed. <laughs> yeah. I can totally relate to what you're talking about. Um, not exactly like the gay jokes or whatever, but yeah. to a certain degree, because I went to an all boys uh, high school yeah. and then I was in the military, which is, you know, mostly guys, especially in the, in the basic training and, 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 and things like that. And then yeah. In, in, in when I joined college, I was in a fraternity. So there's this, this bond of men yeah. that like, if, if we sense, and I say we, because it's, it's nothing I felt. I, I was definitely the outlier. I didn't, I didn't partake in these kinds of rituals, but there is this ritual of feeling power 
by making someone else less than like taking someone who might be perceived as sensitive or they don't perceive it as sensitive. They just, someone's sensitive and therefore more likely to be kind of picked on and, and, and to some level psychologically brutalized. Like, what do you think that is? What drives other men to do that? Dude, that's, I'm, this is a really, really I'm glad that you asked it that way because I think obviously we're having, you know, with the Me Too movement coming around with right reason in terms of like the horrible things that, you know, in this case, men have done before. And I think a lo- it's an image, you know, we're most, you know, what is it? We're most related, you know, genetically to like chimpanzees and, and, and we of that nature, we learn by seeing and experiencing and then we become, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to be that way if you haven't seen it and had it in your life already. And I think the men in our lineage, you know, for all men, as you look back and you see those like your immediate father and then his, your father's father, you know, and then the, the influences, especially when you're starting getting getting in there in the, in the culture and what's around. And we're much more mindful about things now. You know, we don't we don't tolerate a lot, you know, nearly as much as like prejudicial treatment or intolerance. And, yeah, that's always going to be around. But I think the men before us just had some crazy bad shit going on that was like horrible to women. And like anyone other than white, <laughs> like, or even within whites, it could be hard, you know, cause yeah. you know, like this, this stuff is ancestral for sure. So ancestral. it's bro. taught, it's talked about. I mean, it's in movies. Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere, you know, and it's interesting that we're having the conversation. It's like, ah, you know, gosh, darn it. How did all this happen? And it's just yeah. like, yo, like fucking look, look at the stories that are told. Look at the movies that are, that are out there about the past old westerns and stuff i mean it was like commonplace for women to just kind of be backhanded whenever they stood up for themselves or stood up for something that they believed in um it's it's historical you know <laughs> it's really intriguing and 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 to further that point because i don't i am certainly not of the course like i i think i'm certainly not to the point where it thinks that because I think there are some right now who are looking at men especially and saying that every single thing pretty much that a man has done is like, it should be, um, what is it, reprehensible? Like, you know, it's all bad. And, and a lot, it, it's really crappy, you know, <laughs> but it's really challenged as we look on it. It's certainly not things that we want to do now. But I think you just have to have a lot of forgiveness and, and, and acceptance of just what has been. It makes a lot of yes. sense. You look back and you see how bad it was. And then, so for me, that's something that I even look within my own father. And that's what's something that the medicine, um, especially mushrooms thereafter, because I had a big download during my Ibogaine to reconnect with my father differently. That's largely the reason why I left Tucson, because his he remarried and his wife passed away very quickly from brain cancer. And it was a really sad thing and like of the winter prior, you know, and it was going into this winter season. And it was something that I think I, re- I already wanted to do, but I was working in corporate, you know, I'm supposed to continue to work. Well, you know, I'm, you know, and here you have someone of your tribe whose fucking wife died and he lives in the middle of Appalachia by himself where he wants to be, but Lord almighty. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to right. go there, you know, and be with the tribe because the men, as you look back, he had a horrible father, man. He was an alcoholic, had a second family in Michigan. He comes to find out that he had, I don't like the term and it's of, in the past. I think that we would call it like a bastard sister, a, a bastard, I know. 
child of the family, but it's not that. It just happens to be another member of the family. In the past, you know, it was just asshole men who would have second and third and fourth families <laughs> internationally. And somehow that's kibosh and the woman's supposed to stay home and just go along with it. I mean, if you look back and what's fascinating to me now is you look and you know, when we talk about sacred um, feminine and all that, and when I was telling y'all earlier about how I thought Aisha's episode preceding this number seven was very helpful for me because it's like, you know, if you look at, oh my gosh, I mean, it, it's just, it's a really hard landscape if you look at the men that preceded us and the ones before them, what they were given. And, and you know, I've almost had to pra- make a practice of my life, myself of my life, just to become in an awareness with it. Because I've never done well, really, to be honest, in my life with finding a partner. You know, I think what I was, what I inherited and what I was given and what I thought was to be true about having a partner, it sure should never work for me, man. <laughs> so it's like, you got to right. relearn all that stuff. And I think a lot of men are doing that right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is the biggest part of what's to me, what's happening and why we're doing this podcast is because everything that we kind of, when I was young, when we were growing up as to, this is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a woman. This is what it means to be in a relationship. And there's all these cultural conditioned rules and it feels like everything is now dissolved. All of that is in the past. And just as a side note, I also think it's, and you said it, in a different way. I think it's very important that we do not judge our past selves and our past, you know, family and friends and just people in general in the past with the standards of today. We've, we are consciously growing. We are consciously expanding. And to look back at 10 years ago and say, you know, that person believed X, Y, Z 10 years ago. So therefore they're a bad person today. And I think that's, you know, that's a really, there's there's so much context that we lose when we just say, oh, they did something in the past that we would never do today. Therefore, ex- you can't make any judgment because we are in we are in a really really high you know quickly changing environment. Everything's changing and daily, daily, daily. And shit, shit. In in the same day, this <laughs> thing's and so I have an opinion and yeah. Yeah. And I want to go back to that moment, which I think is especially for, you know, a man to say who, who's had a, you know, you had a fairly good relationship with your father, which you're lucky. Not everyone has that. Yeah. Um, and to say, I'm in corporate America, I'm doing the kind of the American dream where you're supposed to have a job and then, you know, go into credit card debt and buy lots of stuff. That's yeah. what you're supposed to do to wake up and say, wait yeah. a minute, that's not for me. And then to say, I'm going to go back, I'm going to quit my job because mm-hmm. obviously you can't just go, oh, I want to take you know a couple months off. It's just, you're not allowed to do that. And the idea of having to get permission from your manager or from your direct report to do anything. It's like, God, that just drives me crazy personally. But anyway, that you, you had that moment and I'm sure it wasn't like instantaneous. You probably mm-hmm. thought about it and questioned it. And it's like, is this the right thing for me to do? And am I, you know, I have a great career. I imagine it was going really well for you. Oh, you God, were yeah. gray. Oh, they God, probably yeah. loved you. Um, and here you are in corporate. You're different. You're, you're kind of empathic. You're kind of intuitive. So you're able to actually probably do better in that environment than mm-hmm. a lot of people would. And the fact that you know, the stress of corporate is nothing compared to the stress of, of the military. It's just so much like, you know, you're just like, whatevering everything is just like, whatever, man. I'm well, not you know, I tell you, well, Chris, I do want to say, because I feel the trajectory of, 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 you know, especially in terms of when you look at a person in the arc of what they've done, and then mm-hmm. there's, there's that point, you know, it's like the point of demarcation where from everything then on, 
you know, you're going in a new direction. And right. For me, that was plant medicine, man, because it, it calls you on your bullshit because it brings <laughs> so much into your body and what you feel. We live so much in our heads. And I think the most beneficial practice that any of us can do these days is to really try to get out of like our caffeinated thinking minds and, and lower down into like your heart to your to your to your gut and to your stomach, you know, living out of the space of feeling your life, not thinking. And I was so out of balance in my thinking brain and my thinking mind. I was my OCD came back when I was working there because by virtue of my job, you know, in cybersecurity, I was checking a lot of things. And I didn't I didn't I didn't realize that that job modality is what really activated me again. And then my rituals came back and then, you know, also depression. And that's a bad place for me to be. And if I hadn't taken and I think it's really it sucks in our culture that we think we have to continue on this perpetual arc of success you know, as an individuals, you know, everyone getting our own things, our own houses, our own jobs. And uh, if I didn't take a break, I wouldn't be here, brother. I guarantee I wouldn't be right now if I continue to stay on that arc, especially after I began, because I I guarantee there would have been a part where I just said this enough is enough. and I would have killed myself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) and there's a lot of uh, especially men, especially ex-military men who are right there with you. Oh, too many. Yeah. Like what was the old one? 23 a day. And like 75% of suicides are males. And in our general population in the United States, it's horrible, man. How many people that per day die? Right. There's this, there's this no sense of purpose, no drive. I've been having a lot of conversations with kind of the younger generations. Um, some, some people that I know, and, you know, I, I sometimes open up the conversation. Sometimes they do. And it's like, there's just kind of, there's a lot of this unknown energy and it creates a lot of discomfort and fear just about what's going on. What's their purpose? What does purpose even mean? Cause we're taught how to, how to, how to, you know, complete a test, yeah. complete the race, compete with other people. Brother purpose isn't even part of the mantra. And to be honest, there really is no mantra other than what you come up with in your own life or what your family does. But hopefully, you know, you have enough good direction on your own, right? But you know, our, our society right now is having a lot of a lot of challenge, you know, especially the things that we value. But I think a lot of us because I look at work and how much money I make in my life completely different. It's a reverse equation. <laughs> it's a reverse equation of what you absolutely do you need in order to sustain your life and then make enough per month and per year in order to sustain that in your family. But I think too many of us are dealing without thinking right now. And we're doing a lot of stuff that we don't find grateful. So you can only do it for so long and then you just get fucking broken or you're miserable your whole life. And, and if you're not showing up and being available to your family, that's the thing that I didn't understand when I left that company, like <laughs> that job, is that I had people telling me, is like, boy, Alex, you know, and at the time, I said that I was going to hike there on a trail to AZT. To be honest, I was having such a challenge with my OCD at the time that I could hardly even go outside because I would have to check everything. <laughs> it was fucking horrible. I was, it's crazy to say, but I was having such a hard time with my emotional state at the time that I couldn't even be alone, basically, bro. And that's very real for persons who had behavioral challenges or substance challenges, you know? So, um, so yeah, it was wild. But I had people at Raytheon <laughs> that were telling me, you know, Alex, sorry, I really want to do this, but, you know, I have my family and I have all this. So they're making an excuse to the family and the significant people in their life that, hey, I've acknowledged that what you're doing is really good and you're going to go out and do something for the betterment of your own life. 
but you know, I have this family and in my mind, it's the reversal. It's like, no, you asshole, <laughs> you have a family and kids. You need to be the role model. You're the one. If our parents are imprinting upon the children, a horrible state of life and being, and that's being imprinted upon them, you know, in the way that their own parents show up to them in their life. It's like, nah, you have even more of a reason, you know, cause it's not any easier for me. Are you telling me that you don't have as much drive and determination as I have? I hate it when people say that. I've been hearing that a lot of my life. I was like, man, Alex, you're just so lucky. It's happening to you. I'm like, motherfucker, I'm working for it. <laughs> not luck, man. Valiant luck. honesty, good sir. <laughs> I hated hearing that, man. And that's actually what broke me is when I left that place. I can't tell you. I pretty much every day for the last two weeks, uh, you know, hearing every single person make excuse for their life and wish they were coming along for me. And by the time I was able to turn my badge in and get the hell out, Oh, it was great, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I can, I, you know, for me, I was actually working in banking as well. And I was working for the credit card, uh, Bank of America's credit card division. And imagine every day getting together with a group of people trying to figure out how to get the country into more and more credit card debt. And I was simply, I was doing it for the, all the reasons we're supposed to do that for. And I had three kids. I had a wife at the time. I get and it. I just woke up one day and said, I don't want any of this. And I don't like the material, like you said about material things, I yeah. just lost my desire for material things. And I lost my desire to, to be in this rat race that didn't yeah. seem to have any purpose or any point or any meaning. Yeah. And, you know, I sold everything I owned and we, 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 as a family, we sold pretty much almost everything we owned and drove out to this little town in Arizona to, to really seek that that deeper sense. So it's not easy. We had a lot of, we had people that were angry at us for like, they, they felt betrayed. I was like, how can you feel betrayed? This is my personal decision to, to do something meaningful with my life. And we, it's, it's, you know, of course we don't have to do anything dramatic, like hike the Appalachian trail yeah. or quit our job and drive across the country. Yeah. But I do think it's important to, sit back and ask those basic questions. Like, why am I doing this? What is important to me? What's the most important thing in my life? And where can I be focusing my energy? And if, you know, and, and even Chris and I talk about this all the time, if you're not in a position like nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but we often don't necessarily love our job. And if we do, that's, you know, there are people that do, and that's, yeah. that's what this is all about is, is pursuing those things that you love. But at the same time, there's also about just loving where you are and learning to be where you are and changing your perspective. Because at this point, you know, you've gone through so much. Wouldn't you say it's a lot about like where you are in your mind and in your heart? And you said, you know, getting out of the thinking and into the feeling as well. And, and just feeling into like everything that happens to me is I have some control over that instead of it being controlling me. Um, you know, for you, that, that, that psychedelic experience of just kind of unraveling reality and losing who you are so that you can kind of see that greater context and that greater picture and, and realizing, you know, the things that we take for granted, things that we think are important, aren't that important. And it's the other things that we really should be focusing on. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more on that. And it's all within... I mean, there are absolutely persons who are in like challenging life circumstances, man. But being haven't seen in Afghanistan and see people there playing the game just as well. This is all, you know. That's why I love Alan Watts coming across him. You know, his 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 teachings have been very helpful. Love me some Alan Watts, yeah. Oh, man, 
especially Alan Watts' chill step on YouTube. Oh boy. <laughs> Have you seen the After School series? No, I'm going to write that down. Uh, uh, good stuff. Keep going, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, so much of it, honestly, is because I found one of the hardest things, because just like with you, um, Chris, you said how you had sold, because you're absolutely right. I think a lot of us, when we want to make very strong change in our lives, usually it's, I want to leave the States and I want to go abroad, you know, especially for single persons, or I feel like I have to travel a lot. It's interesting. Like, I think that travel component is so ancestral in us, within us where it's like, and that can be very helpful. And that's why I found it helpful to leave Tucson, you know, and then eventually I came back and I love it now. And um, we tend to yeah. need to move and leave and especially if you can get out of like, you know, bad financial arrangements, whether that's like an excessively high mortgage or a high rent, find ways to cut, slim down, you know, trim some of our budgetary fat and be a little bit more controlled with our spending and our financial discipline. You know, it's within our reach. We can do it. It's hard. Um, But that is literally what frees us up to pursue, you know, different, more opportunities, you know, and like you said, yeah, we're never going to be like completely happy in our work. But then we, as if we can address those other components of our lives and just maybe have a little bit of acceptance with what we need to do in work, but we can find maybe a little bit more validation in other ways. And Absolutely. You know. Right. I mean, and Alan speak- Watts speaks, speaks of work um, like it's fun. It's created for fun. Yeah. And it's certainly all about, you know, the attitude. Now, when I go back into corporate America, I have a completely different attitude and I look yeah. at it from a place, from a place of fun. And the, the world is changing the whole minimalist movement, the whole tiny house movement, you know, finding joy, does it spark joy looking at all the material things and asking, you know, is this, is this going to make me happy? And that is a really good question because if we're consuming, um, trying to use some kind of, you know, shopping therapy to get through life, we're not going to get there. And so looking at what's really important. And, and like you said, when you made that decision to go home and be with your dad, were you able to, were you able to heal that? Did you, do you feel like you made some, some progress or what was that like for you to be able to like do that? Oh man. You know, I think, um, for me, I, I know that it has been a challenge, which, which I think a lot of persons, you know, is of, of our age, because I'm 34, you know, my, my sister's a little older than I, and I know we had challenges just like, I know, I think a lot of families, um, like a lot of persons do with their father at times based on how that they were acting and performing and being, you know, when they're, when they didn't know, you know, doing only what you know, and making a decision and going with it, but it, it, it sometimes was a bit challenging on ourselves, you know? So, you know, that's something that I think eventually a lot of we hopefully we can rectify in this case with like our fathers and it was never like a singular action to be honest it was more so just um addressing like maybe certain like intolerances or prejudicial ways of thinking and to give him credit it's like yeah well you also grew up in the law enforcement system you know he had that as an undergrad and it's not to say that the, the law enforcement and everything is like completely batshit crazy racist you know, there are obviously laws that's that we've come to identify like, yeah, we want to change that as a culture. But by and large, I still think that the, that the people there are still good and wholehearted and thankfully there are people that go out there and do that work, right? And for him, a lot of his was um, nested within just a horrible father, like a really bad person, even to the point where he wouldn't let me as a kid. He told me here later on because we've had so many like, like, ugh, like, like just like, 
barf sessions of like getting up stuff. And he's had to do that a lot. Right after I went through Ibogaine, we had met up in California at our beautiful great aunt's house right on the water in Santa Cruz. Like this is like a yogi, man. She's like a mini spiritual avatar. <laughs> and that's like mm-hmm. what really introduced me to yoga and, and, you know, Mount Madonna there and like near Watsonville an amazing ashram and like doing all these practices and seeing her practicing up to the day she died, you know, like, fuck, she was 95, <laughs> you know, and like not looking back. And, and so he had actually opened up to me one month after I initially went through my eye experience. I was still, you know, working at the time. I was still back in Tucson. I hadn't begun my trek, but you know, he opened up to me to something that was so personal that um, I don't even believe that he had told that to my mother before. And so it was something that he had said, and it was weird, because one of the things after going through a big, big ceremony like that is that you actually, it's encouraged within limits, within boundaries to share your experience with those who are close to you, as long as within a safe way. And like, it creates a lot of like closure and healing within relationships, because that's a majority Imagine. of the So I had, he opened up to me after, you know, and that was just the first of many times. And we... That- I was going to say, do you think you're the fact that you were open and you had opened up and you were looking to kind of heal that connection, just maybe you had shifted in a just enough of a subtle way that he was able to do that with you. You're spot on because it's, it's learned behavior. And it's something that I know that I had to share that with my sister a lot. And I think it's, it can be challenging for women, especially daughters and like sisters to understand this, but like, Hey, being a man is different than being a woman. You know, we're going through a lot of different experiences. And I would argue to say that the men were a worse example to their to their to their son and, and and daughters too than the mothers were to the children, you know, because that mother feminine is always <laughs> You know, it's different. Yeah. It's different. The stories that you're told are different as a woman and yeah. as a man. And yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you, you know, you, you'd hope that mothers would be more kind and loving and, and soulful with their daughters. Um, and I will also say, you know, there are some really wicked people out there, men and women, and, you know, no, and that, no that, that rubs off. <laughs> You're right. And I appreciate that clarification to you because it's like at the same time, you know, you just, yeah, it's, it's. But I, I know for me, and that was the start where I tried to improve because I had really hard times with my sister, and that was a lot of my pain too, man. A lot of the trauma and the pain that I felt in my life, honestly, it wasn't connected to that really any really singular event in the military. To me, all my pain and all my trauma and all my losses in terms of like not connecting well within my family, the command, the family being not connected at all, you know? Right. My parents are divorced. The, the daughter and son, myself and sister, are completely separated. And I don't have any love in my life. And I think I had a hard time with understanding what love was because, you know, when my mother, mother left my father so swiftly, I think that I, I, I started to see that I was using that also in relationships. I just leave, you know, and, oh, <laughs> so. So how have you learned how to love? Uh, it's ongoing, brother. <laughs> That's a really beautiful question. You know, by immersing myself around like really positive people in my life, people who are in healthy relationships, um, you know, trying to be a little more compassionate and graceful to myself. Um, and it certainly feels better, you know, treating how I pursue a partner with more respect. Sounds like, sounds like a lot of self-work, you know? Yeah. You keep saying, you keep going back to self, and I think that's really important to to notice and honor in the way you're, you're speaking. 
because <laughs> you know it really is all about the self right and although we you know choose to embark on our journey and love along the way yeah it was because i think before in my life i'd always pursued things i found i found success in conditional and i think that's just how also i was i was i was raised you know especially from the feminine you know they're it kind of conditional i have an amazing relationship with my love mom i love that woman dearly man i'll like leave right now and go back and support her and you know i will continue to do that but what do you mean by it was conditional uh i i felt that I had to achieve and succeed. And it was even kind of like part of the family narrative, you know, to continue to doing that. Like, what are you doing? What is your work? Like a lot of traditional family things, but I just felt a lot of pressure because I, I do have persons in my family who are successful, you know, and then the, the family image. So there's a lot of that, you know, how much money do you make? Whether that's, you know, especially through like other forms of family. So I, I like to succeed in those ways, but I think that a lot of the things were conditional. And anytime I would start acting out of my heart, I do remember specifically even before I left the military that I was like, man, you know, I really like the concept of like volunteering for, you know, um, you know, a veterans cause or something like this. And very quickly it was shut down. Like, no, you don't do that, man. That's like maybe on your weekend, but you have other work to do. You know, you do professional work. No bullshit. Right. You know, what about, uh, what about partnerships? How, how, how have you looked towards, you know, romantic partnerships in terms of what you've learned about love and loving yourself and not having that growing up? And what does that look like? Um, yeah, you know, the absence of it, as I see now growing up, just because largely I think that they had just not seen it within theirs, you know, when I look at both, oh, you know, the sets of my grandparents, you know, and like they're, they are amazing people, but, you know, that love, especially at that period of time, you know, wasn't displayed. And, you know, that's certainly not handed down, at least within this sense. So for me, I think it was like, certainly I had dabbled. I think I had tried certainly before I had done plant medicine. And I found, I think my tendency at times in relationships is that they would escalate very, very fast. And, and finding that I'm not like learning who my partner is and exploring of who we are and all the things that I like to do now, you know, so like a lot more restraint a lot more, and just not going as so fast, so quick. And, um, and so, yeah, yeah, it, just for a multiple of reasons, it just, it never was really that successful before, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, getting in, getting into a relationship, you know, feeling that, that it's almost like, I, I likened it in myself, like an addiction, like when you, when you feel that, that get that first hit of that romantic dopamine where you're like, oh, I love this person or I'm, I'm feeling into this person and, and, and that person's really providing me with something. And for me, it was, it was kind of dysfunctional in the past for, for a long, long time where I would feel that, that kind of that connection with, you know, with the feminine and it would just, it would just feel so good. And then yet not really having worked on myself and then all of a sudden relationship stuff comes up and, and not having really been grounded in myself, you know, having expectations that were probably not, not, not realistic just because you're looking to constantly be nourished and fed in the relationship where you're not able to stand on your own. And I, I, I was, I was in that space of just, it wasn't healthy. And, you know, you go in so fast and you just want more and more and more and more and more. And then, you know, it feels good. And then suddenly you get to a point where the challenge comes and you're like, shit, I'm out of here, man. You well, bail. I, I will throw out there that it was fascinating. I, I think, started to learn how I wanted to change who I was 
when I started to intentionally put myself around, especially when we had met down at the Eco Village. I remember right. specifically being someone that I was like, wow, that is the different form of a man that I'm used to seeing, you know? And you had a, you had an amazing partnership with you at that period of time that I remember. Yep. So here's this person in a successful relationship, and that was beautiful to see. And and so that was is what really, um, I think, started. That was the first example of, of seeing that, you know? Absolutely. And in, and in that relationship, even when it kind of when it ended, it, it what I did it, instead of running away, which is kind of what you do, it's like, oh, the relationship ends. And then I in the past, I'd always kind of like kind of cauterized my feelings, you know, just kind of like burn the edges, clean it up and then move on. And this time I decided I was ready to just unpack unpack the the pain that I was feeling and just try to figure out where and it launched me it launched me on a personal mission and uh, you know I had done ayahuasca for, for the first time I went to a ceremony to kind of like look into what was this pain coming from because you know the relationship itself was pretty good and then even the breakup was you know honestly wasn't wasn't that bad it's just what I allowed I, I really felt into what was happening in my heart instead of what I'd always done in the past, which was just kind of shut it down, lock it up. In that moment, I just, I was ready. I felt like I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that this time. I'm going to sit with this feeling and, and just sit with it. And it took me months. I was sitting with it on a regular basis. In fact, I set up a, a meditation every night where I would just sit with that and say, what is it I'm lacking? What is it that, what is this pain? Where is this coming from? And I went down into this rabbit hole. It kind of was like Alice in Wonderland when I was just kind of going down into my own emotional. Bro, you were practicing hardcore. <laughs> I just got to say, like, you know, obviously everyone does, you know, just to, you know, to support what you're saying, man. I remember the intensity of your practice at times. You know, when people are really going down a path of self-exploration, there are periods of time when we look to our left and our right and we see one of our, our brothers or sisters and we're like, damn, man, you are really putting yourself at this right now. Well, I remember you particularly, and I, it's, it's funny because I hadn't thought about it, but like in that time, that's when you and I, that's when I was kind of like going up and staying with you. And that's where we really kind of cauterized our, our, our relationship and really made it strong. Yeah. I don't know why I said cauterized. It's a strange word, but anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> you said cauterized earlier yeah, in regard to your feelings. I know it's funny how that comes up, but yeah, you're right. It's like I am looking to, when you finally touch upon that part of you, that's your deepest wound. And, and instead of running, you're not going to run. And that's kind of where I had gotten up to. It's like, I think this is one of my deepest life themes and wounds in my life with the, and it was to me, it was the betrayal of the feminine was some theme that I've had ever since I was, I can remember ever since I was five years old, I can remember these incidents, which my look, and that's what it took. It took me, it took me being willing to sit in the fire of the pain and just feel it for wow. days and days and days and days and not, and not shut it down. And, you know, it, it, it took a long time for me to even get to a point where I was willing to go there. But at some point you go, you know, enough's enough. I'm tired of blaming my parents. I'm tired of blaming you know, the relationship and the person I'm with. I'm tired of blaming anything. It's like at this, at some point the buck stops here and that's where, and, and I felt, I felt a little bit like I was stepping into something powerful too. And being around you, Alex, like there's something about your energy that made me really, it kind of facilitated my healing in a way that, that 
that I don't think very many people could hold space for. And you were, you were doing that. And that, and that allowed me to kind of, and then when I did my ayahuasca experience, I went into a place where I, I got to, I got to confront my wounded child, which is a very strange experience for me. And ever since then I've been, and I can honestly say that whole, you know, it took about six months for me to kind of go through the entire process and get to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm ready for a new start and to go. And that was my personal, my personal experience with, you know, healing my feminine um, relationship. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I certainly remember it as a period of practice and um, I'm very, I can see that progression and growth. And that's why I'm really happy that you, you know, you all had started to do this, especially because, you know, it's a really good, mm-hmm. uh, it shares a lot of information and it's, it's, it feels like an honor to like share this space together in the moment and have this and then, you know, to hopefully share with others. Absolutely. Thank you. And so like, just kind of, you know, we've gone through a lot, you know, we've gone through this. I got it. I I got a question. Alex, do you have like a daily practice? Do you have um, kind of daily practices or weekly practices or whatever you call it to support you in your, in your self-love and in your mission? Yeah. You know, I, that's a really good question because I think it's really at the core of, um, I think it's really at the core of, of taking personal accountability with this stuff. And cause that's where we're going to get our greatest results is if we just have to take control of this, you know, and that was a big changing point for me, even after post I began and, and uh, admittedly a lot of psychedelics, like, you know, they eventually came to a point where you have to, you know, get, take a really strong accountability with this stuff and then decide how you want to live your life going forward after a traumatic event or after just regular depression or just in general. And, I think for me, the things, nature is probably my number one. And those who know me would say that. Um, So for me, that's at least, and usually about now, especially with working and all, it's about one night a week, especially an overnight. Um, At least one or two other days of like just walking out in nature where it's like hopefully neither the other, (laughs) as much as that can be for oneself. And then some type of a practice, especially in the morning, I've had challenges with my lower back with like muscle spasms. So I, I like use my heat pad and listen to like chill, comforting music, you know? And like, this is gonna sound wild, but like I have found very, very supportive, like like soft, chill, feminine vocals, man. You know, it's almost like an affirmation for me. I'm actually doing a tattoo piece right now because um, I had recently been like in a very like quick and very intense relationship. And um, part of my practice too is what I've, what I'm honoring, like that awesome divine feminine in, in the form of Aphrodite and this really cool tattoo. Part of my practice is also just like finding ways to, re- to remind myself of how I want to show up in like relationship, man. And that's like listening to podcasts weekly, you know, finding time. And especially in the ones that deal mm-hmm. with masculinity and femininity. Because you, if, you, if we're trying to like be better at connecting with people in our lives or men and women, even outside of the partners, like to me, I think like we all need to find a, a way to practice that. It's like, how do I want to set the proper attention? How I want to show up to people? And like, I have, to, you know, listening to that is very helpful. So, um, and then. Other than that would also be some classic like breath work, like pranayama and some form of like hatha yoga or movement, you know, but those are really good disciplines. That's really cool, man. Thank you for sharing some of that. (laughs) Nature for me is also very, very healing. When I choose to, when I choose to be present there, 
right? I mean, there's a park across the street and I, and I can walk there whenever I want. And yeah. when I choose to walk there without shoes and, and allow that, that space to ground, I'll walk on the leaves or the grass or whatever. And I'll just sit there yeah. and, and connect with the earth for a second and then continue on my walk. And I notice my pace is a lot more slow. It's a lot more refined. Mm. I'm, I'm not like kind of changing my body or, or tensing up certain parts of my body so that I can make a certain stride. Mm. It all feels very calming and natural. And, you know, it's interesting. We call nature what it is, you know, <laughs> everything outside of us is almost nature. And mm -hmm. when we find the ability to, to find peace and, and see peace and feel peace in those moments outside of ourselves, I mean, that's, that's gold right there. <laughs> it's all a choice and it's all that self it comes back to what you were saying that self-love yeah the accountability the choice to yeah. like choose you and, and choose your wellness on a daily basis and your growth on a daily basis whatever that looks like for yeah. you yeah it can be so simple you know and like um it sounds simple right oh, but it, <laughs> But the follow through, just like, you know, when so many teachers, you know, when so many yoga teachers will be like, well, hey, just getting onto your mat is the biggest challenge, you know, like sometimes there's an right. obstacle or a challenge just to show up and then that can be in anything else, you know. So, um, yeah, just showing up and taking personal accountability because I think at some point eventually you have to, you know, because we want to feel better, you know. So, hmm. yeah. It's like that block, that block stopping you from being your best self. <laughs> I mean, that you felt that, right? I mean, they, they, I think we've all felt that <laughs> to some extent. I mean, this is like you, you're staring at yourself in the mirror and, and one of you is like, hey, what about that awesome choice you can make right here? And the other's like, yeah, but what about these other choices that we've been making for the past seven years? Mm. Like, <laughs> what about those? Those sound so easy and convenient and comfortable. It's really intriguing, man. You know, I'm, I'm going through a lot of that right now. Really? I'm going through a lot of situations that are providing me with opportunity to look back and be here and say, where do I want to go? It, it feels too chaotic where I'm at right now. And it, it comes down every time I've meditated on it, every time I've pulled cards on it, every time I've just sat and asked for higher guidance, it comes down to self-love. And it's come down to that for the past like two or three years, four years. It's crazy. Yeah, self-love is something that's coming up a lot, I think, in our society. And there's books on it written and things are getting, you know, more and more popular in terms of, you know, learning that coming from a place of self-love is the place to start. And everything can come out of that. And, you know however it takes to get there there's different ways that's why we have this podcast and you you know you've talked about your experience with you know with psychedelics and how that's helped you but at the same time you've got to have a certain amount of self-love to oh. even even start and say you know everything that i've done up till now is okay and forgive yourself and move on and know that there are you know looking around you there are things that people are experiencing that are a lot worse so it can always be worse and it can always be better it's, it's, it, that's so true, you know, and that's thankfully, hopefully, you know, especially when we're experiencing challenge, whether like we know to reach out for people to help, you know, 
or people see it and they ask, you know, thankfully it's like eventually there's a point and especially if we're able to ask for help that we can get better. You know, there are a lot of persons, friends, organizations, entities out there that like, or if we know to like refer someone, you know, or just lend out another shoulder, just ask a, an open-ended question, you know, just to provide support to people right now is huge because I think that there aren't, there are a lot of like false idols to follow and there are a lot of, everything is socially reinforced and then it makes people think that those are good things, but they can be challenging things to go after. So, um, you know, yeah, just, Oh, thankfully there's podcasts and all this other stuff. (laughs) Where do you think it's all heading? Where do you think we're heading right now in in the world? To me, I've always thought to me, it's karmic, you know, to me, it's karmic that, I think what we're experiencing now, the challenging that we're experiencing within our own country is something that is just inevitable to go back through again as a, as a virtue of our events of how we've behaved within our own countries domestically and internationally and abroad. And these, and, you know, certain ways of being and challenge and frustration and violence and unrest is happening in our own borders. And um, I think that for some reason, everything has happened and it's really fucking intense. And I've had to look at this country differently. I almost have to be in a state of mind. When COVID hit and I was in Santa Cruz, I had a big episode. I was renovating a home and uh, they put a, a, you know, obviously they put a, a stay at home order really quick in effect, you know, because I was outside San Fran and it was having some challenge. And I remember when we went into that quarantine, I felt like I was back in Afghanistan. And because I felt like I had to protect myself with all the uncertainty. Right. You know, I think a lot of us are experiencing just an increased level of anxiety and uncertainty right now. So I think it's just like understanding that when that cortisol is high, when that uh, threshold is being hit a little bit right now, and we're being anxious, we're looking at each other, we don't know, you know, there could be animosities there based on what we're seeing. You know, there could be presumptions, there could be prejudicial treatment. We're all feeling that right now or, or variations of like a little bit of tenseness. Yeah, to me, it's just karma playing out within our nation, man. Like we've behaved Mm. in certain ways and that stuff. Like, that's what I always said, man. It's like, Hey, (laughs) and initially it was with like the challenge with persons with like substance abuse and domestic abuse after fighting two wars. And that's just within the military and how for me it's out into our cultures, but it's like, you can't karmically go over there and expect that you're going to be able to do all that shit and you're going to come back here and everything's going to be copacetic. And like, right. We've had a lot of infiltration of bad things within our our communities. And I think right now we're just having a damn hard time. (laughs) Right. What kind of um, advice have you used or what is your philosophy and how to cope in some of these hard times? What do you lean towards and how do you navigate your your world? Like what are your deeper like Mm. truths that you hold on to? Um, I think like trying to, I think forgiveness is like the number one. I think mm-hmm. yeah, forgiveness on everything, man, especially the way living in Appalachia for this last life, man, that's my last accent. Um, living in Appalachia, man. Uh, I really was helpful at a period of time with Trump and a period of time when I had just come from Santa Cruz, California, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> like living in the dichotomy, and seeing, seeing one, there's a reason why every single person, the way that they are, be it what it may, and being how violent it may be or peaceful that it may be, is there's a reason why everyone behaves like they do. And I think right now we're just a little too quick to react. 
get angry right someone is without understanding some of the stuff behind because they wouldn't be doing it just for the shit of it they're doing it for a reason you know so i think right you know absolutely there's a there's a quote that comes to mind from i don't know someone really wise (laughs) that mentions how they look at people like they look at trees when we look at a tree and it has some like distorted growth pattern we don't look at it and say oh that tree's fucked up that tree's Uh, wrong we look at it from a perspective of oh i wonder what was blocking that tree from the sunlight that it needed to survive and you know when you choose to look at people like trees or like flowers Mm -hmm. and choose to see the little glimmers of sunshine or color that really makes them the unique beautiful being that they are it changes my world personally when i choose to do that Uh, because i'm not coming from a place of discordance i'm coming from a place of what i choose to see in in in, with the eyes of peace and grace and compassion and forgiveness no you're right you're really you're really right there because um you know, I think specifically of Ram Das when I would when I'd be out there and like doing a lot of work in the forest because I've intentionally at times, even though it's like, you know, even my family, and my friends will tell you, it's like I can sometimes I get anxious if I'm alone and wondrous for too long. But with that being said, I go so deep into my practice, you know, of listening to like Alan Watts and like roaming in the field all through the day and not seeing someone or, or you know cutting trees and respecting trees and like working around it. And I remember Alan Watts and Ram Dass imprinted on my mind talking about he's done a really good job of being very transparent about someone who identifies like as androgynous and how they show up and see every single person, you know, in a spiritual context and, and taking every single person like for just like who they are. And then as everyone moves through life, looking at all of our experiences as hopefully being things that like make us move closer to God, whatever that is, even if you don't believe in a God, you know, moving closer to something, you know, the actions of the events. So like understanding that people have that capacity and they are that beauty, even if like they're showing like hatred and all this crazy shit right now. And it doesn't, you know, <laughs> doesn't mean that you have to get around it or, or acknowledge it, but it's just like, we're at a very interesting period of time right now where like, it's so hard to say, but to me, I think it's all about forgiveness. And then in many ways, like space, like I almost look like, you know, if like you're trying to avoid a fight and you're like, you put your hands out in front of you, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When you back up, you're like, whoa, 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 bro. It's like, to me, that's what like, you know, I, I kind of do with everyone of like, not trying to do those like primal things of trying to like challenge people. Because I think a lot of us, you know, when I started to do um, treatments and ceremonies with plant medicines, um, there are a lot of people, it really opened my eyes to the amount of people who have like opioid addiction and substance use disorders and like, or challenges, not disorders or, you know, behavioral challenges like I'd experienced, like everyone pretty much out there has something, man, that we're going through. So I think we all, just, right. Yeah. We all everyone. go with each other, man. <laughs> like, and yeah, I mean, like, let's, I'm glad you said that because it, not, let's not say everyone, right? Because yeah. that's a dangerous word, but a most lot. people, yeah. a, a majority of people have it in some way. Yeah. And 
Yeah, I think it's important for as us as individuals going back to accountability. Yeah, it's just yeah. taking accountability for self and and acknowledging that for yourself. And yeah. you know, there's a lot of pretending going on uh, in many ways. And you know, there's there's no right or wrong to it. Some of it's taught behavior, some of it's learned behavior, whatever whatever you want to look at it. You know, whichever lens. But the fact is that there's a lot of faking going on <laughs> because we're told that that's how it's done. That that that's how you'll be accepted and loved and appreciated and and it's it's all baloney and we all know that because <laughs> we all have these these experiences that are unique to us and and a majority of us you know kind of what you were saying is links back to some level of trauma yeah no to, to yeah to some experience and like what i found and i'm glad that you said this because i come back to your question i wanted to give you a more clear and concise answer like hey what are your truths one of the things that I like to do, I got really big into cutting trees and splitting wood because you know what, man, I get to rage the fuck out and it feels so <laughs> good. So many of us right now to like need to go hit a heavy bag, go pick up a rock and like do like a, a, a slam on the ground or like out here in the sand, you know, go kick something, you know, like out in the way in nature or somewhere else, like don't hurt anything. Don't hurt yourself. But like, obviously like we don't have a lot of outlets in our culture to like, Ah, you know, like it goes scream. You go do a long ohm, but like something with the physical body, you know, <laughs> a long ohm. Oh. <laughs> a dope ohm An angry ohm. It's not designed to be angry. <laughs> yeah, however, you just need to move some energy right now, dude. And we all got to go shoot some guns, man. You know, like, <laughs> do something to get it out in a safe way. Cause I think we have to have an outlet and like, man, you have to find a way to just dissipate that, you know? I absolutely, yes. I absolutely agree. <laughs> yeah, even sometimes just yelling in, into the pillow. Yeah. Well, you know, physical yeah. exercise does that. dissipate cortisol. And so there is a science behind the idea of just like when you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling anger, when you're feeling like you don't know what to do, Yeah, just going out and just doing something till you sweat like yeah. splitting wood that's everything because it's oh, you know it's that physical movement but you're also like you've got that you know it's a primal thing you're doing you're you're oh yeah swinging an axe you're hitting something really yeah. hard and shattering it and it's, you got to concentrate i yeah, mean yeah. you don't want to you don't want to drive the axe into your kneecap oh, so, right. <laughs> so, so it takes again, a lot being present is part of that experience Amen. So much. If you're in your head and thinking about what you're going to do while you're swinging an axe, it's dangerous, like you said. So it's like, incredibly uh, dangerous. <laughs> like, like I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about the shit that I feel bad about yesterday. I'm right here, right now, oh. splitting some wood. I'm in rage, hey, rage splitting. My old school teacher, Doug, bless her heart. She's amazing. <laughs> Chop wood, carry water, brother. Chop wood, carry water. <laughs> Chop wood, carry water. Is that why they? Is that why they teach the monks? You know, first to 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 process this energy, so that I mean, anger is is a really primal rage. Is really primal, and and I feel like because it's so primal, we experience it at a really really young age. Yeah, and from that point don't know what to do with all of that energy you know we talk about energy and we throw this word around but i i quite literally mean like it's a burst of energy it's it's like a micronuclear explosion going on inside your body yeah it's quite literally energy that just needs to do something and 
when we don't have a safe outlet, not only do we act out in a way that's just not healthy, it's crude, it's, it's damaging to ourselves and others around us, but then we have the, <laughs> the blessing of being able to judge ourselves afterward for it. And it becomes this interesting cycle of, of not knowing how to express self um, with our most primal energies that, that flow through our bodies. You know, the blessing of to have those energies. Yeah. Um, what, what more a blessing to know how to use those energies for, for benefit. Right. And I think what you said earlier too about forgiveness is the path. And I think that's where we got to start, especially with ourselves, and just allowing others to make, to make mistakes and allow others to not be perfect and knowing that no one's perfect. And we get so hung up with somebody maybe treating us a certain way or not treating us a certain way or believing something that isn't true about us and starting with like, you know, no one's perfect. And I'm going to start with forgiveness. And, and that's where to me, you know, where I agree a hundred percent in how I, you know, I, 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 I attack my problems, if you will, is starting with forgiveness. I think that's the place. And that from that point, you can, you can become unoffendable. Well, it's so interesting that you say that like that way, Chris, because I come back to what you asked me about, well, Alex, how do you show up in a relationship now to exactly what you talk about there, about that acceptance and the forgiveness. I found that I was pursuing partners of what I thought like society, like what type of a woman I should be into, you know, or maybe how I'm supposed to like fulfill some type of a role in her life, you know, that maybe is outside of my reach, you know, maybe I'm (laughs) in some way. And so having more self-love for who I am at this moment in my life and then being authentic the way that I show up to someone. Well, if if someone specifically is asking me a question and I don't, I don't come out with a societal, like a, a, you know, kind of like a traditional societal way of like, this is what I'm doing in my life or something else like that. I am finding that when I am Dharma, brother, I'm, you know, we all have a way of providing for ourselves, but that's the cool thing about finding partnership is understanding that there's, we're all so different and we all find value in different situations that people are in. So I think that's the number one thing that I found of success is when I practice self-love and not being as conditional with myself and then being honest as I face off to people it's been so much more fun that way, man. It's so exciting. It's like being born again. It's like, whoa, you can like <laughs> connect with people this way. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think we got to allow ourselves to not be perfect and say, yeah, what? And, and if someone calls us on it to me, I, I used to resist. Oh man, my biggest, one of my biggest themes was always having to be right and having to look, you know, look like I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then, the greatest relief was just being able to say, yeah, I fucked up. <laughs> and that's end of the story. No more argument. No need to defend. Sometimes you fuck up and that's okay. And then just say, okay, I fucked up and now I'm ready to uh, make good. What can I do? How can I fix? Start from there. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we've covered a lot. We've covered, again, I was going to go through it. We've covered you being in the special forces and then getting into um, your trip with Ibogaine and, and, and that, what that meant for your healing. Uh, We talked about some cult situations. (laughs) Cult situations. (laughs) Yeah. I love how 
just open-ended that's been this entire yeah. time no names have been dropped no just a yeah. nuance nuance that it's south of tucson yeah and you're you welcome to google or yeah. <laughs> invite yourself into that world as you choose hey, okay you dabble around the plant medicine circle long enough for spiritual entities or stuff like that brother it's only gonna be a matter of time until you come across a cult <laughs> <laughs> it's a small world Very yeah and you t- speaking of cults, you talked about Alan Watts and Ram Das, and you and your dad talked about that father. That father connection is just to heal that to me is so critical in a man's life or anyone's life, a woman's life too. But like being able to meet your father where he is and have him meet you where he where you are as well, and, and it's, that's just beautiful. And talked about relationships, so you know it's been a great this has been a great talk. We've 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 covered a lot of. A lot of stuff, Alex. Oh, that was such a pleasure getting to know you and 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 hearing the the McConaughey inside, you know. Yeah, baby, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're a cool dude, man. I look forward to our next podcast oh, or meeting in person. Honestly, that would be that would be rad too. Yeah, well, well yeah. You have a really cool tattoo, and you guys both have good tattoos. So you have to, you know, geek out on each other's tats. Geek out, geek out on on tats. Yeah, for sure. Maybe get one together. All, like oh, we do a podcast while we're all oh, three boy. at the tattoo parlor, getting the same tattoo. <laughs> that sounds intense well and then also too just to plug my own thing here in tucson just on on a, a fun little entity that we have growing called spirit trekking um last thing we did was a full moon hike on tumamak hill setting a little bit of intention there so it's like you know finding certainly love ways to connect with people so um you know that's always a fun thing so spirit tracking or or certainly look forward to meeting all you guys again, whether it's on the podcast or in person, because it's really nice. And I think it's great that we can shepherd these conversations and share it. And hopefully people find value, you know? That's exactly why we're doing it. Well, thanks for coming on, Alex. Mm. It was great having you, buddy. All right. See you guys. Be well, brother.